0: vision for life in the home and church. That's next on Growing Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. I all now with hands and in this place got to dwell with man. Sick be and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son. Selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love and harmony. Let this world know me by your love. Jonathan Swift, a defender of the faith back in the day, also the author of Gulliver's Travels, said, Vision is the art of seeing what is invisible to others. And since it's an art, that means growth is possible. Well, today's Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray will provide opportunity for growth. We're studying 1 Timothy and chapter 2 gives us vision for ministry in the home and church. It will answer who's to lead, how to make difficult cultural decisions, how to have the right balance on some of the relational challenges and attitudes. Surprisingly, our text gives modern vision from understanding an ancient culture. Here now is Pastor Ed. Chapter 2 verse 8 through 15 the
1: battlefield. Verse 8, Paul writes, I desire therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Let a woman learn in silence, actually quietness, with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach her to have authority over a man, but to be in quietness. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. Let's stop there and pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and how we need to hear you in this matter that is so prevalent in our nation today that we might understand your heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we found it uh, important that first of the year to think about a verse. It's Proverbs 29, verse 18, and it says, without a vision, the people perish. And it's a good time to to stop and reflect on the things in the past year and the things ahead. God says without visions, that spiritual vision and expectation of coming good from Him, the hope of Him intervening in our lives and in others' lives, without that, you'll perish. You'll have no things to live for. So. That's my question for you. Uh, What's your hope? What's your expectation? What's your vision, spiritually, for the coming year? I go through it every year, and I I think it's actually healthy for everyone, even non-Christians, to consider it, but it's especially purposeful, important, critical, something that we should do as believers to look into the year ahead. I submit that there's two ways to look, basically optimism, and Pessimism. There's an old joke about these two guys that were one an optimist, one a pessimist, who lost their jobs and they uh, started looking in the paper. They started getting desperate, got really bad. So they noticed an advertisement for a pharmaceutical company that would pay $50 for live, healthy rattlesnakes. That's desperate. And so they grabbed their pillowcases and they headed out to try and find some rattlesnakes. And they were out in the middle of the desert Phoenix area. And they, they came down the side of a hill and, and the rock let loose. And they both tumbled into a pit that was filled with rattlesnakes up to their ankles. And the pessimist said, oh, no, we're dead. This is terrible. And the optimist said, oh, no, this is wonderful. We're rich. So that's an attitude about looking into the future and uh, looking for something good in the midst of it. Well, we're kind of in a, I'm in a pit of rattlesnakes this morning with the verses that we're dealing with this morning. And a wise pastor would find a way out of it. So I asked Pastor Greg to do it while I was gone. He said he didn't hear me, so... (laughs) coward. And so uh, (laughs) we're going to take on an area that's a very difficult text. It's difficult exegetically. There's some difficult parts to really understand what Paul means. And so there's some wiggle room in it, you I'll find. But also it's very difficult culturally in our society. Of course, this is a hot button issue today. And here we have us having to talk about it Obviously, God has something in mind when he leads Paul to do this, and I'm encouraging you to look deeper. Now, for men, it's easy to use these as a cudgel on women, these verses. Well, God says I'm the leader, you know, and there's plenty of idiots doing that, and I meant that. And... It's also, as women, easy to say, well, I'm going to completely disregard this. That shouldn't be in the Bible. I'm going to cut it out of mine. Thomas Jefferson cut the parts out he didn't like of his Bible. got real small. And that's not helpful either. So, let me say a couple things from the outset. I confess that I am pro-woman. I am married to someone, I married way above myself, and God through her gave me two amazing daughters. They're both brilliant, uh, the daughters, and all three of the women in my life are smarter than I am. And uh, they are just brilliant people. Now, we live in a time where a, a woman is demanding, and in many cases deservedly so, equal rights. We come up against these verses that go, that seem to be saying something different. It does not. It clearly is speaking about a very narrow area, and that is worship in the church and how God designates males to be in the hot seat, to be painted in a corner, to lead spiritually. It is, I'm in debt to my wife because she led me to the Lord. And so I can say in all honesty that I am eternally grateful for the woman that took me on. Because I was a case, you know. I was an atheistic biochemist, arrogant, and she got saved. And within six weeks, she started witnessing to me. Now, she didn't convince me with her command of tensor calculus and astrophysics. She lived her life out in front of me. And uh, it was less than a year before God used her to lead me to his throne of grace. So women, high regard, great respect. I grew up in a southern family. My dad was a a Virginian, a southern gentleman, and uh, he demanded that myself and my two brothers, the three of us, respected women and more than respected them, uh, held them in the highest regard. And so I I come to this subject with a prejudice towards women. And I just want to say that, on the outset, so you won't kill me after the service out in front, ladies. And number two, that this has something to do with vision. Your vision, our vision as a church, about what church is about. Because this is very much about worship in the house of God. God's order in public worship. Let me make one other point. I already warned about those who would use these verses, males who would use these verses to cudgel, uh, beat, horrible things to their wives and their daughters. I probably can't say too much about that. But let me also say that God has designated the church a patriarchal living organism. This is to be church, the church of Jesus Christ, not this church, the church led by men. And you see it from the opening chapters of Genesis. Uh, Adam, then Eve. Noah leads his family onto an ark. And then we go through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and then all the kings and David and on and on. It goes up to the New Testament. And Jesus liberates women, and gives them rights unknown in that day. But He chose 12 men to be His apostles. So, what we're looking for is the heart of God in these scriptures. And so I would encourage you all, male or female, to open your heart and mind and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you about what these verses are really about because we know that God is love. We know that He gives us salvation based upon His good gift of grace. It's not that we earn it and that He is a respecter. He doesn't give advantage to any person. So what is this about? this breaks up into three parts. Verse 8, men pray. Verse 9, women, goes right away at the dangerous area of dress, but good works, 9 and 10. And then this very difficult area of 11 through 15 about quietness, which is the correct translation of the word that's translated silent, poor translation. So, we set that overview, let's kind of jump in and see what God might say
0: to you and to me. Before we jump in, as Pastor Ed Ray put it, we wanted to pause and thank you for joining us today here on Grow in Grace. Now let's jump into this difficult yet important scripture found in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Picking up in verse 8, here's Pastor Ed. Therefore, Paul writes, I desire, therefore, that the men
1: pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Now, Scripture routinely uses the male gender to be a catch all for male and female humanity. In this case, that is not true. This is specifically to men. God is, if you will, calling out men through the Apostle Paul and tells them to pray everywhere, to lift up holy hands, He's saying, you're not doing it enough. Now, remember, Timothy is a young pastor. He's in a new church. He's never had a pastorate before, and he's in a tough city, Ephesus. Ephesus was a kind of a seacoast town, kind of a San Diego on the western shore of modern-day Turkey. But it's a beautiful place. It's absolutely stunning. And it was a matriarchal city. How can you say that, Pastor? Well, according to Greek mythology and some history, uh, legitimate history, that the city was founded by the Amazons. Now, we're not talking about the building down the street that sends out all your important things. And we're also not talking about the river in South America. But there evidently was a people that were called the Amazons that were female warriors uh, Herodotus said that they were from Scythia. They were Scythians. They were from northern what would be Persia, uh, Iran today, Iraq. And that they were fierce warriors and they fought in the battle of Troy. Well, what's that got to do with Ephesus? They founded Ephesus. And the word is when they came. The historians say that when they came, they killed all the men. They were a matriarchal society. They didn't want any men, and then they set up a system of government that was all women. It was the ultimate feminist stronghold. I meant that as a joke, <laughs> and and they uh, didn't have to deal with men. Well, by Paul's day and Timothy's day, there was a temple to Diana there. One of the seven wonders of the world, this huge temple to a female goddess who was the patron, the patron of the city. So, Paul is writing to encourage a pastor who has started a church, not started, but took on a church that Paul had started, and has to uh, somehow change the focus of the women in the church because they're all for cutting heads off the guys and moving on with worship, just the girls. Not quite that bad, but uh, that's the backstory. That's the, of what's going on hysteric, hysterically historically in this place. So men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. Notice the emphasis on holy, set aside hands. That doesn't mean perfection. That means that you keep going back to God when you blow it, guys. God is calling on us to lead in prayer. That's what this is about. He's saying, men, lead. Lead in the church. Lead in your homes. If you're married, then lead your wife in prayer. Lead your kids in prayer. Pray before your meals. If you don't pray at home, that's a good place to start. Pretty easy to say, bless this food, Lord, and then dig in. And you can grow in that. But uh, you sit down with your wife in the morning. Take my wife's hand. I pray for her. And it took me a long time to get there because I grew up in a church where you never prayed out loud unless you all did it together. And so there's some obstacles to overcome for men to do this without doubt, without wrath. You can't come to God anger, to hold something against somebody else. Uh, Unforgiveness, unconfessed sin in your life will hinder your prayers, we're told. We have to come in faith. We have to trust that God is a hearer of our request. James said, without doubting, for let not the man who doubts expect to receive anything from God. I can't allow sin. I can't doubt that God cares and wants to answer, so I say that. God, I, I know you want to do this. I pray that you would. So, emphasis on prayer and men leading. Now he goes towards verse 9 for women. In like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair, or gold, or pearls, or costly clothing. Uh, this verse itself isn't to take up a whole morning of trying to work my way through it. Paul tells the sisters to dress modestly. Please do. A lot of contention about what the word modest means. What's acceptable dress in our culture is considered of. Uh, risque in other cultures, and vice versa. So how do we find what this means, a modest apparel? Well, the word modest comes from a Latin word that means moderate, in the middle, moderation. And so Paul is simply saying, styles come and go, but being in the middle, not too Doubtfully, I'll say he doesn't want you to to wear a flower sack, ladies, or or uh, not too risque, but find some middle ground. But that's just part of what he's saying here. Not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothes. He's not saying you can't wear gold. There are churches that try and interpret this this way. You can't wear pearls, and all kinds of other things. He's saying do things in moderation. So, In fact, he's saying, be more concerned about the inside than the out. That's what God said to Samuel when he was looking for a king for Israel. And Jesse brought his sons by, and the first one come by, and he's this handsome guy. And and Samuel says, surely this is the one. And God says, no. Man looks on the outer part. God looks on the heart be more concerned about what's inside than what's outside. Peter says almost the same thing in 1 Peter 3, 3 wives, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging hair, wearing gold, putting on fine apparel, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible ornament of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. So, focus on the inside, not the outside, try and find the middle ground, and you're fine. Verse 10, uh, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Again, it's pertinent about outward appearances. He's pointing to that. We shouldn't judge people or try and be judged by outward appearances, by things we wear on the basis of things that are not important. So, notice he says salvation is with good works, not by good works. Uh, We could spend a lot of time on that, but you have uh, heard much of Romans, and Paul said it is by grace to the Ephesians. It is by grace you have been saved through faith for good works, not because of good works. You can't earn your way to heaven, right? Okay. Okay, so that's good. Let's pray and go home. Oh, wait a minute. We yeah, got verse 11. There is that little thing. Oh, dear. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. So we have this group of women who Paul says, be silent. The word hesherishio in the Greek language actually means quietness, stillness, strong concordances, does not meddle in the affairs of others, undisturbed and peaceable in their lives. So, Paul has used this word before, and the context of that helps us back in 2 Thessalonians 3.12. We read, Paul was talking about busybodies in the church of Thessalonica, northern Greece. And he said, now them that are such we command and exhort, by our Lord Jesus Christ, that they work in quietness. And there it's translated quietness and eat their own bread. In this chapter, we're looking at verse 2, Paul wrote it, and it's normally translated this way, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. So, I don't really understand why the King James translators use the word silence. Obviously, he 's not telling us to live a life of silence. Some tried that, the Middle Ages didn't work out very good. So listen and learn quietly and submissively is what's going on here. Now, there's besides the cultural reason of what the history of Ephesus was, there's also a number of Jewish women in the church. We know that Priscilla and Quilla were there and others. So this is dealing with something culturally for those who grew up in a Jewish synagogue or the temple in Jerusalem. There's a wall of separation in synagogues of Orthodox Jews today. It looks like that one on the right. This is a Midwestern synagogue. And it separates the men from the women. Here's one on the left. This is a church in LA. There's, uh, the next shot is of North Hollywood. Uh, There's another one in the valley. So these walls of separation represent a wall of separation that was at the temple. If you go to Israel with us, there's a wall down the middle or this divider, men on the left, women on the right. And notice the woman over talking to her husband, asking him questions. Well, they built the wall higher so women couldn't do that. (laughs) And that comes into another part of these verses. This is a The rabbi of the Wailing Wall, the Western Wall, said, you are approaching the holy side of the Western Wall where the divine presence always rests. Please make sure you are appropriately and modestly dressed. We covered that so as to not cause harm to this holy place or the feelings of other worshipers. And so that's the reason for the wall of separation too. So the guys aren't looking at the girls and vice versa, but they're looking at God. Okay, so that's where they're coming from, where these women were asking questions. They came out of this society that was matriarchal. They get saved. They come into the church, and they're asking questions to their husband out loud. Nobody knew how to whisper. Everybody was just talking out loud. But it's not just in Ephesus. We see this in the Corinthian church, too. If you were with us when we went through 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul wrote this. Let your women keep silent, there it is again, quietness in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home. It's shameful for a woman to speak out loud in church. That was the whole point. So publicly, you have a question, and your husband's the other side of the wall. You don't shout, hey, Henry, what do you mean by that? Is he saying women are stupid? You know, that kind of a thing. Some of you are thinking that already, so I just thought <laughs> I'd get it out there, right? Okay, someone said one definition of marriage is the wife ducking out of the way so that God can hit the husband. So, gentlemen, be really careful of what you say on the way home, and maybe for the next week or so after this message, right? So, Why? What is God doing here? What's he saying?
0: Pastor Ed Ray is our Bible teacher here on Grow in Grace, and we're studying 1 Timothy right now on the weekends. Get today's study on CD by calling us toll-free at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. You can also listen to the program online at thepackinghouse.org. Again, we're at thepackinghouse.org. Now, we don't like to make a big deal about it, but we're a listener-supported ministry. And as you give today, you're invited to request a copy of Elizabeth Elliot's book, Through Gates of Splendor. In January of 1956, five missionaries gave their lives in the jungles of Ecuador and made headlines around the world. You'll be encouraged and blessed as you read this compelling and inspirational true story. Allow it to spark your passion to get the gospel of Jesus out to those who are without Christ. It's yours for a gift of any amount. So call us right now at 844-77-GRACE. Again, that's 844-77-GRACE. And we're always touched when we hear about the great things that God is doing through this radio ministry. If you're growing in grace as you study alongside us, would you mind shooting us an email today? Our email address is packinghouseradio at aol.com. And then join us back here next weekend for Grow in Grace as we turn to 1 Timothy. In the meantime, let's keep looking to Jesus as we grow in His grace, this program is brought to you by the Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands. all now build with hands and in this place gotta dwell with man Sick be healed in the crippled stand singing hallelujah My kingdom built with the blood of my son Selfless sacrifice for everyone Faith, hope, love and harmony Say let this world know me by your love